Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. My name is David Orban, and uh, I want to welcome to the show. Uh, we are streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, but I invite you to subscribe to the YouTube channel so that uh, you can be alerted when uh, new shows are scheduled. Uh, as it is uh, almost every day with uh, interesting people from all over the world, uh, in Europe, in the US, in Africa, in, in Asia, talking about uh, what are the ways that technology is impacting our world and uh, how uh, we can take advantage of innovation, both individually as well as in our communities and in uh, society at large. Uh, today, we are going to uh, talk about uh, innovation in a very interesting uh, uh, area, in a very interesting geography uh, with, uh, with our guest. Uh, Taiwan occupies uh, a, a unique place uh, in the world as uh, a hub for so much uh, of uh, the production of uh, electronics uh, in a supply chain that is uh, um, complex and interconnected on a global basis. Uh, and uh, our guest uh, today is uh, Jason Xu, uh, who is uh, an entrepreneur and a former member of the parliament uh, in uh, Taiwan. So uh, uh, welcome, Jason. Good to hear from you, David. It's been a while. How are you doing? I am very well, and thank you for being on the show. Uh, yes, indeed, we haven't uh, spoken uh, for, for a long time. You have been very busy, too, uh, with uh, your parliamentary uh, initiatives. Uh, but uh, before we go into the detail, uh, um, Tell me how uh, things are in Taiwan with the pandemic. Uh, it uh, is um, looked at uh, uh, by the rest of the world as, as one of the places that has been able to uh, keep uh, the pandemic under control best. Yeah, correct. And in fact, we today we reported the first case in, um, in, in 70 days. Uh, wow. So the first report today, we had have had the uh, seventy days without any confirmed uh, cases. So today we we only reported the first one after more than two months uh, that's, without that's, having. That's fantastic, and, and and I assume uh, this case was uh, from a visitor. Correct. Yeah, this is from a a visitor uh, coming in from Japan. Uh, who have got out of quarantine uh, for 14 days, but still uh, somehow found uh, herself uh, affected. Wow, wow. Yeah, there is uh, so much that we don't know about uh, the infection still uh, in terms of whether uh, this uh, 14 magical days is, is enough. Uh, it is always a little bit ridiculous when uh, some... Um, independent uh, measure uh, strangely corresponds to our units. Like uh, it is exactly a 10 meters or is exactly two weeks. So evidently it is just uh, something that, that people decided would be, would be fine. But uh, in some cases uh, it is not like, like in this case. Now, um, uh, what, what was the uh, reaction uh, of uh, the Taiwanese uh, people at the beginning of, uh, of the pandemic? Were there very drastic measures like lockdowns uh, 
needed? Uh, and if not, uh, why not? Well, obviously, we, uh, we learned it from the uh, SARS experience 15 years ago. Uh, uh, in 2003, when Taiwan was very heavily hit by SARS, uh, the, uh, uh, another respiratory um, uh, syndrome, severe uh, respiratory syndrome. And at that time, uh, cities were uh, very, very much hit uh, during that time. But also, uh, at this time, we found something was going on uh, in the uh, early January. And in fact, if you follow the news, we actually um, uh, notify the uh, WHO for such uh, outbreak in an early, early stage. So uh, I remember I was in Davos in January uh, for World Economic Forum. And coming back to Taiwan from Switzerland, I already sensed that there's going to be uh, something uh, uh, serious. So after January, uh, the government start uh, ordering uh, border control of uh, incoming uh, travelers, particularly those from China. And obviously uh, the uh, uh, virus is originally found in Wuhan in uh, Northern China. And so we try to put up the first fence. And um, we, so since January, we've uh, make sure that at least we have control on our hand for foreign visitors. So with that, uh, we are effectively tracing the flow of the travelers after they come into the country. And uh, in order to implement a effective policy that all incoming travelers are asked to do a 14 day quarantine and um, also follow the uh, uh, government procedures in order to uh, have a very strong um, um, system that we can track. So we are quite lucky in that sense. But another thing is, um, since we had an experience of SARS, we also quickly mobilized our manufacturing capability. We set up a uh, production lines for masks and other personal protective equipment, uh, PPEs, such as uh, uh, gloves, goggles, and um, gowns, for that type of things. And uh, we learned that uh, in, in the earlier days, wearing masks is, is, is effective to fight the coronavirus. So government set up a system, a uh, tracking system, where everyone uh, is able to buy enough masks they need and exchange them um, uh, 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 periodically. And so we, we make sure that our PPE is in no short supply in the first place. And secondly, we, we make sure that uh, our people are not too uh, panicking. And by uh, understanding the um, transparent and the real-time update of the uh, 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 status. So I think having that experience for the last 15 years really helped. And also we treated 
very seriously in the first stage. Um, so I think that that's also contributed to our uh, public well, uh, public health officials. Uh, uh, of course, uh, even though there were not um, uh, drastic uh, lockdowns, uh, the economy was uh, still impacted because so much of Taiwan's uh, um, GDP uh, depends on exports. And, uh, mm. and uh, for, for three months, uh, at least, uh, exports were uh, heavily hit by the lack of demand uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the countries that would be uh, buying uh, product from from Taiwan, is that right? Yeah, I think this is a global situation. I think it's not just you know any country can uh, um, you know live without this this pandemic, and you know it, it all varies in degrees uh, with which countries are impacted. Uh, in Taiwan, our economy uh, is impacted, but compared to um, countries in Europe or the US, uh, we are less uh, severe, the impacted. But mostly our export-driven economy uh, has, has also been hit pretty hard, uh, particularly in the uh, manufacturing supply chain, in computer electronics. And our local businesses, such as restaurants, hotels, uh, retail, uh, obviously are very, very, badly affected. And um, we are lucky in a sense that government reacted to this very quickly. We, government quickly set up a um, stu stimulus package for those who are in need uh, to apply for an emergency fund to get through their, uh, this period of time. And also for uh, it, uh, startups that are uh, suffering during this period. Our National Development Fund also provide a stimulus uh, emergency loan uh, to startups so that they can get through this period. And um, in, in, in a lot of ways that things like this shows that taking precautions is very important. And, and also it shows that um, governments must work with private sector and civil society must collaborate with uh, government and business to develop a uh, 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 effective and, and efficient uh, mechanism. And this virus is, is uh, very tricky in a way that it mutates and it would always be there and it's not going away. So we need to make sure that Whatever we are doing, we don't temporarily uh, ignore just because somehow the season changes and since the cases are fewer, but we must treat this virus as a game changer in a way that it provides us with a new outlook into the future you know, as to what we should be doing differently compared to what we had done in the past. And this is is you know related to how should our public where uh, public health system be operated, and how should our business be restructured? How should our school, uh, public transportation, even our 
task uh, uh, text system be um, redesigned? What about our uh, job rights? What, what about people who are um, uh, displaced during this time? Um, you see tech companies who are gaining a lot during this period, for example, like Zoom or other um, uh, streaming platform. But how do we make sure that technology does not create um, bias or um, inequality? And governments must think more agilely, like startups, and use this time to change the game that uh, we are playing and make sure that whatever models that come out of this difficult period will be a new game changer. And I, I do believe that good inventions come out of bad times. Um, in 2000, when internet bubble burst, Google was born. And in 2008, when Lehman Brothers went bankrupt, the global finance, financial crisis swept over the, the world. And that gives the rise to sharing economy companies, hence the birth of Uber and Airbnb and the like. So I still believe that um, we can work to develop new invention and new, new innovations. And we need to be building the future together rather than um, feeling hopeless or pessimistic about the future. And right now, the, the machine that is probably least powerful is the government, because they are the last to be informed. They are the, they are the centralized machine that is slow in catching up the way the virus um, um, travels. So we need to work with startups, with AI, modelings with big data uh, companies to understand what is the cause of the um, um, virus and how do human beings prevent such a thing from happening again and, and what should we be very interesting and very important i think it is also an important lesson for uh, governments like uh, that of uh, the us uh, for example or brazil that do not seem uh, to be uh, wanting to do anything in order to reform and to adapt uh, all the various uh, types of activities that you mentioned from uh, schools to businesses to taxation and, and so on. Now, uh, not a lot of people have the opportunity of, uh, or the willingness uh, to go through the uh, type of government experience that you have had uh, in, in parliament. Uh, before you went in, you had certain expectations. How were these expectations different from the reality that, uh, that you met? Uh, for example, uh, a lot of people believe that, uh, that politics is a dirty business, uh, that uh, um, honest and, and, and the people who are loyal to their cause should stay away from and that uh, if you play, you get dirty unavoidably uh, as well, and that uh, the, the compromises that are made uh, give up all the principles uh, and, uh, and the, the, the type of um, uh, ideals that uh, one would be 
uh, fighting for and and uh, looking at as a sacred uh, outside of of government but obviously uh, that cannot be the the truth uh, and uh, i wonder whether you found uh, the mechanisms uh, in parliament and of the various commissions that were uh, surprising in some ways, uh, uh, maybe more efficient or more effective than you expected. How was uh, your experience uh, over the course of the years that you spent in Parliament? So my background is uh, an entrepreneur. So I approach politics, you know, uh, as an entrepreneur, and I actually took out with. Um, um, entrepreneur spirits. So things that I do, I apply the experiences I gain uh, from doing startups. So if, for example, in policy making, I would be uh, doing things, uh, for example, uh, using a lot of uh, tools that people can collaborate and working together and developing uh, solutions by iterating different versions of ideas. And you are right, in politics, there, there's a lot of uh, trade-offs or what we call quid pro quo or things that you need to compromise with. And I always like to use this, this um, analogy, this example. I, I think if you are watching people playing, throwing mud at each other, and you are looking at them and you're just laughing at them or you are... Uh, unhappy with the situation and you look down and you see yourself uh, also deep in the mud you see yourself you know covered with mud and what does that mean so everyone in this world is in is in, in in the mud in a certain extent so you cannot run away from the problems that you see um, around you so what you can do is to roll up your sleeves and just come up with solutions. And, and instead of, you know, just looking at the, the mud fight, you go, go in there and helping them or, you know, help de design a system that is more effective. What I'm saying is in, in a lot of ways that um, our world is still very much designed and functioned through government systems. And there, you, as a technologist, I could have a thousand different versions of a utopian world, um, but you need a system to implement it. And we need to work together to better the system. And until we have more people who are willing to jump in and say, I can be a part of it in changing the way the system works and using whatever tool at hand and with whatever background and experience and expertise. Um, I, I would say, you know, um, it's everyone's business. Uh, for example, for me as a, as a member of parliament, I focus on technology policy. I um, develop laws and regulations for AI, autonomous vehicle, um, cryptocurrency, blockchain, and uh, uh, cybersecurity. Um, and for this type of things, I think 
I wouldn't have had the experience as an as an entrepreneur to affect to affect the change from a national level uh, had I not joined the parliament, and I wouldn't be able to execute it, the policy in a way that is so innovative had I had not been an entrepreneur. So having the both experiences as a hybrid, a unconventional politician that really helps, you know, me to charter the course. Um, so I would say I encourage everyone, whether you are an engineer, a teacher, a programmer, an artist, or a t or, or a, a doctor, to think about what you could do to change the political system by providing your expertise. And I think there's a ton of ways that you can make this happen. And that's why, essentially why I say, you know, we need to treat this period as a game changer. Everyone needs to be working together to fix this. And fixing this is part of the fixing the system as well. The... Um role of government is clear even though there are those who would uh, want uh, uh, businesses to operate uh, unfettered by regulation uh, they uh, look forward to a more savage world uh, where any uh, advantage is uh, gained uh, and uh, then hold on uh, without um, the possibility or the desire to see if uh, an alternative uh, is possible where uh, more people benefit. And, and, and those mm -hmm. uh, uh, see uh, this kind of uh, unfettered competition, um, but uh, they don't realize that uh, it will produce uh, blind uh, results, including uh, suffering from people that uh, are blameless. Uh, while uh, we should thrive to create uh, systems that are able uh, of being more self-aware and, and more uh, graceful in uh, uh, including um, people who are simply either less lucky or, or uh, being in geographies that are, that are uh, different uh, uh, than, than the best positioned one. Uh, now, one challenge, though, uh, for government to occupy this uh, ideal role of uh, uh, benevolent uh, ruler uh, is that in times of uh, rapid changes, the understanding of the topics is by definition insufficient. And whether you are an elected official or appointed uh, to be a regulator for some technology, you are tasked with an impossible job of knowing what nobody knows yet. So how can you um, provide regulation that uh, is imperfect and how do you improve it so that it can stay um, aligned with the underlying developments. For example, a lot of assumptions around uh, the abilities of uh, AI are falsified uh, almost on a weekly basis uh, because AI is not only 
accelerating. Uh, I say it is actually jolting. AI is moving on an increasing rate of acceleration. So whatever we uh, believe it is doing, it is doing more. Uh, and the same is true for, for many of the technologies that you mentioned. So how can a, a regulator operate under those conditions uh, and and what are the best ways to um to neutralize these challenges yeah i think i think you have a very good point and and you know in the, that's why essentially i said that you know we should treat regulations or any sort of policy as versions of uh, software development and you need to come up with ideas of uh, iterations and using what we call the agile development um, uh, system to develop policy. You know, most of our laws written today were written uh, 30 years ago before internet was born. And so you look at the laws or, or the articles and the clause, they are just so antiquated. They are like dinosaur age. And But technology is moving so fast. It is, you know, it's, it's like technology is is moving exponentially, but our human system, our legal system, regular, regulatory system, and political system is constantly uh, flat. And, and so we need to develop a mentality that we need to develop a form of government that is agile, that is flexible, that is accountable, that is transparent. And, and so in Taiwan, um, I set up this law called Sandbox, and it's basically allow any new type of technology that can be uh, experimented, experimented and uh, tested without legal liability for a certain period of time. And this is especially applicable for new emerging technologies such as AI and uh, fintech. Uh, uh, new emerging uh, technologies that would impact the existing um, incumbent industries. And there will always be the type of challenges the new world again against the old world. And internet has drawn that line that the new world would be fast moving, would be agile, would be uh, uh, um, uh, changing all the time, but the old world wants to stay the same. So for example, Autonomous vehicle, is it a vehicle or is it a moving computer? Or is this a potential computer person or computerized person that can perform human activities then with the potential of committing uh, liabilities and responsibilities? Our laws are not ready when an autonomous vehicle hit someone on the street where the judges or the uh, lawyers cannot interpret it, the data recorded on that machine. And if the data cannot be analyzed, explained, interpreted, and analyzed to show the cause and uh, uh, causation, that means that you cannot judge this case. And this also applies to when a robot performs a surgery on a patient and there's some technical error that causes the death of the patient, but who is then 
responsible for such incident. There's no such a thing. So the classical thought would be, we will just prevent that from happening. But the technology is so powerful today that it is learning tremendously exponentially, crunching data, analyzing the data, and it is just going to outpace the way regulations um, are designed. And this is going to emerge and appear faster than we think. Um, I think what you said about uh, um, policy and regulations being developed uh, with an agile methodology is uh, very important. We are not only talking about uh, uh, technology being applied to traditional sectors like communication or even more recent sectors like finance, uh, where we are now talking about fintech uh, and uh, banks are recognizing that uh, computers are not just uh, nice tools for crunching numbers, but uh, they uh, disrupt uh, every function uh, of a bank and uh, neobanks uh, are now threatening to uh, uh, become a, a real disruption in, in the industry. In, in Europe, uh, for example, there is now uh, legislation that imposes interoperability uh, between banks uh, so that uh, if you sign up for a neobank platform and you have accounts in other banks, it is compulsory for you to be able to consolidate the view of your various accounts under a single interface. And this is a similar challenge to the interoperability of uh, telecommunications in the mobile sector that the European Union also imposed as a very good driver of competition. So the next step, as I see, uh, is uh, to look at the regulatory frameworks themselves as technology, reg tech, uh, to be uh, accelerated by the same approaches that are accelerating fintech and communications and other sectors. So, for example, uh, every piece of legislation should have version control. It should never be that the final vote at the final hour is slipping through some clause and uh, since some compromise has been made, nobody says anything and only after the fact it is discovered that uh, there has been some interconnected uh, consequence that is uh, protecting some special interest uh, as a payback for the vote received. Uh, maybe the outcome is the same, but the version control system should make that uh, very transparent and traceable uh, by, uh, by everybody and anybody. Or similarly, uh, natural language processing systems in artificial intelligence should be able to analyze and simplify and make readable uh, the special uh, language that very often uh, legislation uses with all kinds of references and, and here and there. And this depends on that. It's almost impossible to decipher uh, the text of, uh, of the laws uh, oftentimes. And uh, that could be uh, also an attempt uh, to stay on top of uh, what is needed um, beyond, of course, the urgent need for decentralizing decision-making as much as possible.
exactly because uh, innovation cannot uh, be all happening in the center. Innovation is happening at the edges. If we want to um, attempt to regulate innovation in any way, that kind of regulation must be delegated to the edges as well, uh, following uh, the same kind of decentralization that, uh, that is happening in, in technology. Now, one of your passions that you mentioned is uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency. Are you satisfied uh, uh, of the degree with which uh, Taiwan has embraced uh, this uh, sector? Uh, do you think that uh, more should be done? Um, what uh, is uh, uh, stopping uh, further experimentation, further enthusiasm, uh, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, obviously, this is something very close to my heart for the last four years that I pushed very hard on the uh, advancement of the uh, crypto regulations and making Taiwan more feasible and uh, uh, innovative uh, with the uh, uh, crypto and blockchain. And um, since I stepped down in January, uh, we have had a new commissioner on the Financial Supervisory uh, Commission. And he's been quite open and uh, uh, also uh, uh, embracing uh, new ideas. And I have worked with him during uh, my term when he was still a deputy commissioner. So I had uh, hopes that he would adopt some of the uh, legal considerations and uh, uh, law amendments that I proposed during my term. And um, I think today's uh, blockchain and and uh, crypto um, um, development, I think, are somehow still uh, at a very early stage. Uh, countries are still scrambling to understand the the nature of the technology and as well as the impl the implications of the its 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 usage. Uh, what we need to do is to make sure that. Uh, crypto is put in the hands of people who need it. And right now is somehow being labeled as um, uh, a lot of negativity and some some extent bad reputation. But I, I think the, the, the this is just as the beginning of uh, the internet when it emerges. A lot of people think that, oh, this is bad for our, our uh, uh, communication or system, but Look at today, internet is the single most powerful tool that uh, accelerate the communication and the exchange of information. And I feel the, uh, the, the very fundamental philosophy of uh, 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 the, the Bitcoin, uh, if you read the white paper, is it wants to enable person-to-person's uh, exchange of uh, uh, value. And, and I really think this is the last mile or the, the next important step for the evolution of the internet. Um, and also this, what, the reason why I think it's important, especially in today's ubiquitous uh, uh, data collect, collecting era, uh, we somehow are exposed to a, a very large scale that our data, our digital footprint is being collected uh, any minute um, online and used in a way, in ways that we don't know. 
And if we don't understand it from the uh, uh, privacy and the security point of view and look at how our digital print is, or so-called digital property, is uh, contributing to the making of the internet commercial machine and understanding how our contribution to that is turning humanity in certain directions that we don't know if it's good or bad. Um, I think that's a lot of questions to be answered in that, um, uh, in that area. So reason why I champion crypto and blockchain is more than just obviously um, um, uh, uh, countries' economic development. It has to do with how we understand our future um, human dynamic and our information security is being treated. Um, so I, I feel right now we still at a very early stage and I'm still working on um, um, developing more uh, thought leaderships and as well as working with institutions and the governments around the world to develop uh, concepts. Uh, for example, on central bank digital currency and as well as uh, other ways to empower uh, financial inclusion. Uh, what are the uh, latest projects uh, that, uh, that you are working on uh, now that uh, you have uh, so much more time uh, after leaving parliament? Uh, well, I, uh, first of all, I, I uh, took some time off and uh, spent time with my family and uh, reconnected with nature. So I've been uh, mountain, mountain hiking a lot. Um, but most, mostly I am working with several uh, global institutions to, uh, number one, develop the uh, cryptocurrency uh, guidelines and the global governance structure. Uh, and secondly, I'm advising uh, some startups for their strategy and as well as helping them to fundraise. Um, so um, there's a lot of things that I think I can put myself to work and provide value and a contribution. And uh, hopefully I will uh, find something I like and uh, sort of uh, settle down. But right now I'm still kind of keeping myself open. Um, uh, the beauty of uh, being live is that uh, we have uh, comments from people uh, following and Tufi is saying that uh, uh, we need uh, to innovate uh, uh, in uh, the IP uh, uh, protocols uh, as well if uh, we want to deliver uh, the promise of the revolutionary technology that uh, blockchain uh, uh, told us would be coming and uh, we cannot uh, rely on the traditional components that must be eliminated. Uh, I uh, um, agree with uh, Tufi uh, in, uh, in this sense because uh, there are many bottlenecks uh, in delivering the promise of uh, blockchain that uh, are forced on the system by the incumbents, uh, a little bit like uh, you know, uh, buying block, block, uh, Bitcoin with uh, credit cards and being charged uh, 3% because the credit card network is uh, so inefficient 
that they need a three percent tax on every transaction otherwise uh, they they cannot function which is uh, ridiculous in the in the 21st century and um, and and this is true elsewhere uh, as well I, I saw one of your affiliations uh, in these uh, think tanks that uh, that you mentioned uh, with the blockchain and climate Institute um, so many times uh, uh, we hear uh, a quite ignorant uh, accusation that uh, Bitcoin is bad for climate because the miners consume a lot of energy. That is a little bit like saying that Google should be dismantled because uh, it is better to drive to the library if you want an answer to a question you have uh, instead of being able to um, uh, use the search engine because the data centers consume a lot of energy. Um, the benefit of the Bitcoin network uh, uh, in terms of security is so huge that uh, the energy use is actually dwarfed uh, by this uh, additional value, as well as miners are so obsessed by their necessity of uh, uh, making a profit that they seek out the cheapest energy sources which everywhere in the world are now renewable uh, energy sources. So it is just one example of, uh, of how these different technologies uh, interconnect. And uh, maybe the Blockchain and Climate Institute is also pursuing uh, this kind of thought leadership in, in uh, uh, promoting a better understanding of how smart grids and microgrids and uh, um, uh, blockchain-based uh, uh, tools uh, can can really well uh, work together. And no, I absolutely agree. And, and I think that uh, uh, governments uh, need, you know, uh, shouldn't stand in the opposite side of the technology. I think a lot of ways uh, government treats technology as a threat and uh, regulations are are uh, are, are in, in in existence in order to um, uh, stop the development of technology. But I think we need to understand from the uh, uh, fundamental uh, view that uh, technology it will always be there and it will always be uh, growing faster than we imagine. So um, it is important that we understand it and then we develop policies uh, according to the development of the technology and think about you know today's uh, financial system is very much controlled with the way us dollars and gold were structured you know some uh, 40 or 50 years ago but with bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency i think governments are just refusing to admit that there's an alternative uh, financial system that could be potentially more uh, scalable, more transparent, and uh, uh, in some ways more inclusive. Um, but I would say that countries that are quickly in adapting this new form of, uh, of a, a transaction system will, will find itself more competitive in empowering its youth and uh, uh, citizens to um, um, uh, have access to resources. So um, I am uh, uh, bullish uh, in the, for the future, but I'm again, I'm a, 
uh, pessimistic in the way that our human beings are reluctant to change. Um, you know, uh, for example, you see China is is fast in catching up. This they they've announced their um, so-called DCEP, um, digital currency um, electronic payment system. It's basically their national digital currency, and they've tested it in four major cities um, with a total uh, combined populations of over um, uh, 100 million people. And they've tested it in such a scale that they are likely to roll out in the next year or so and provide overseas um, uh, banking um, settlements with its own uh, digital currency. So that's the first step that China is going to decouple US dollars. And with the US and China trade war is going on and that their technology war is also um, uh, fighting each other, that this so-called digital currency becomes a new form to change the way that governments or the rising powers contesting each other. So it's important to know this and uh, that, that um, um, having this in mind and instead of thinking in the old traditional ways and but to be more innovative and um, it is um, absolutely fascinating how uh, the united states uh, perceived for decades uh, china as uh, only being able to copy technology while uh, behind the uh, the wall uh, uh, the massive internal market uh, protected against uh, competition uh, gave birth uh, to giants that now are uh, indeed innovating and uh, the um, decision capability of a relatively more authoritarian uh, government uh, of rolling out experiments on a regional basis uh, to be then scaled up nationally um, is now also representing a, a competitive uh, factor. Um, it, Alipay uh, is um, uh, dominant uh, in many places. Uh, I was uh, uh, pretty um, astonished uh, to see a huge advertising covering uh, the side of uh, the Duomo Cathedral uh, in Milan, in Italy, uh, in Chinese language. Uh, talking about uh, Alipay and how you could use Alipay uh, uh, in uh, shops uh, around Milan, uh, uh, of course, targeting uh, the Chinese. Uh, so uh, it is going to be very interesting also how uh, the digital, the Chinese digital currency uh, is going to behave uh, internationally. What will it mean uh, to uh, own uh, the, the Chinese digital currency in China, and then since it is digital, what will it mean to potentially own it outside of China, and and what will uh, what will that mean uh, both uh, uh, from a macroeconomic point of view, from a technology point of view, and of course what kind of competition it will put uh, on other central banks uh, that uh, will have to accelerate their own programs for digitizing uh, the uh, local currencies, whether the euro or the dollar. Um, 
and uh, that is uh, only healthy in terms of what uh, Bitcoin uh, is also going to do or Ethereum, uh, those uh, more traditional cryptocurrencies that we that we love. So, uh, Jason, thank you very much uh, for being with us and searching for the question live. Uh, I will uh, say goodbye to our uh, viewers, but please uh, stay on so that uh, when I stop the live stream, uh, we can also uh, uh, chat uh, just for a few minutes uh, uh, on our own. So uh, thank you very much, uh, everybody, uh, for uh, being on uh, Searching for the Question live today, hearing about uh, technology, innovation, policy and regulation in Taiwan and uh, beyond. What is the role of government and how government can aim uh, to upgrade its processes for policymaking uh, so that it can stay relevant and uh, uh, close to the needs uh, of the uh, 21st uh, century. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Tufi, for intervening uh, and saying hello for uh, both uh, Jason uh, and I and for your uh, interesting uh, comments. Uh, if you uh, or other uh, of our viewers uh, want uh, to, to join, uh, we have a Discord community. Um, you can go on davidorban.com slash Discord uh, to keep conversing about uh, these uh, themes and others that we are also covering on searching for the question live. Uh, if you speak Italian, I also have an Italian language uh, channel uh, davidorban.com slash YouTube Italiano allows you to subscribe. And uh, uh, if you find this uh, as well as uh, other content that I create on video or audio or written or in other forms uh, valuable, um, go to patreon.com slash davidorban to become a fan, a supporter, a sponsor or a benefactor at the different tiers that uh, are avail available uh, to you. So uh, uh, thank you again and uh, see you next time uh, on uh, Searching for the Question live.